warm welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our program. Britannia, a very British podcast about very British movies with just a hint of professionalism. Hi, Scott here, as always, with me today across the airwaves, about 200 miles due north. Stephen, good morning. Good morning, mate. How... I think you managed to actually get through the intro then without a fluff. <laughs> without even a script as well this week. Yes, oh. it's, it's, it's one of the very rare occasions that I managed It's almost to... like you've done it before. Almost, almost 20 plus episodes in. <laughs> This is a bit bizarre because this episode is possibly going out. I would say this this episode will probably going out about March time, um, but it's the first time we've spoke since before Christmas. You know, so ha- is, happy new yes. year, happy new year, sir. In March, yes, <laughs> same to you. It's, uh, happy, happy March to you. Yes. <laughs> well, we, uh, it's bizarre because we, we're talking about an Easter episode already, and this is weird because this is mid January that we're recording yeah. this, and we're talking mm-hmm. about an Easter episode because we've got. A good three or four episodes, possibly more, in the, in the bank, ready to to be put out. Podcasting is a weird time shifty experience, isn't it, mate? Oh, absolutely. We've experienced that for for a long time with um, other shows that we do, and it's um, one of those things that you just have to get used to. The the, the time frame we're talking in now is not the time frame that is off air. Yeah, and I like the idea that when I record with you and with Tony. It's almost a weekly thing, but none of us can actually commit to every week, you know, set in stone. So the episodes tend to go out every 10 days, every fortnight at the moment. So this is why we've got the backlog. But I like that because there may come a period where we don't see each other or talk to each other for a month or so. And I just like the regularity of getting a show out. You know, I think, although although I don't think the... Um, there would be an uproar from the listeners if there was um, a bit of a gap. I think it's nice for there to be that regularity, yeah. both, both for them and uh, for ourselves. Indeed. So um, it, it's, it is nice to have some banked ones, just so we know that we're, we're, there's no pressure, really. Yeah. We can just record when we can record, but we still can can seem like we're doing this regularly. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's great. Today's episode is a listener request. And this is going back to last summer, if I can remember rightly. And I'm sure it was Gabriella well, that suggested it. I, I'm, I may yeah, be wrong. I'm not sure. Yeah, you, men- you mentioned it to me in late August, early September, <laughs> round about the time of recording the first episode I came on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and that's how long it's it's been waiting. And obviously, by the time it's released, it'll be closer <laughs> closer towards uh, the year anniversary. Um, True. Yep. Of it, but we've got there in the end. We've got here so. in the end. It's 1992. It's a Merchant Ivory production, and it's Howard's End. Let's take a break. We'll be back just after this. <laughs> Howard's End, released in 1992, the third Ian e. Forster novel to be adapted by Merchant Ivory, and one of the more successful financially. Earning over $70 million at the box office from a budget of a mere $8 million, it went on to garner an impressive nine Oscar nominations, 
with wins for Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Art Direction and Best Actress for National Treasure, Emma Thompson. There's a sense of almost warm familiarity when it comes to Merchant Ivory Productions. Perhaps it's due to the fact that their movies were often period pieces based on literary novels combined with lavish costumes and locations that were seductive and sometimes exotic. You always knew what you were going to get with a Merchant Ivory, and Howard's End is no exception. The story itself is set at the beginning of the 20th century and chiefly concerns three families, all very different but connected as the story unfolds. We meet the Wilcoxes, a family of wealthy entrepreneurs whose fortune was made in the colonies. There are the Schlegels, Margaret and Helen, along with their brother Tibby, a half-German family whose pursuit of culture is not too dissimilar to the Bloomsbury set, of which Ian Forster himself was a member. And there's also the lower-class, poorer couple, the Basts. Initially, the story revolves around the Schlegel sisters, played here by Emma Thompson and Helen Bonham Carter, and their idealistic pursuit of attempting to help the struggling Basts, along with a desire to rid the much wealthier Wilcoxes of some of their entrenched economic and social prejudices. Howard's End itself is the name of the Wilcoxes' ageing country estate, and the plot slowly unravels around the cottage and its surrounding grounds. In fact, most of the story concerns the Wilcoxes' manoeuvrings to retain the property. The lives of the three families intertwine as the movie progresses, with a few surprises and dark secrets along the way. Personally, it's not my favourite of the Forster adaptations. The Remains of the Day is a far superior film. For as you will discover as our review unfolds, the script throws up a couple of unanswered questions and some seemingly unnecessary plot points. But on the whole, a fine example of the sort of British movie that was being made in the early 1990s. And you certainly get your money's worth with this one. Two and a half hours of period soap opera that includes three births, three weddings and two deaths. Here's the trailer. Will you come with me to Howard's End? in your mother's handwriting. I would like Miss Schlegel, Margaret, to have Howard's End. I heard two ladies talking of love. Oh, no. No, we were continuing a serious discussion. I could scratch that woman's eyes out. Why, if it isn't Henry, aren't you going to say hello? No, Mrs. Bass. No, I don't. It's just you and me. Don't take up a sentimental attitude over the poor. See that she doesn't, Margaret. The poor are poor. One is sorry for them, but there it is. Everything's got spoiled for you, hasn't it? I forgave you. My sister has a lover. You drive her from the house. Why can you not be honest for once in your life and say to yourself, what Helen has done, I have done? Howard's End. Released in 1992, directed by James Ivory. Based on the novel by Ian Forster, screenplay by Ruth Prajavala, starring Anthony Hopkins, Emma Thompson, Vanessa Redgrave, 
Prunella Scales is in here. Joe Kendall, James Wilby, Samuel West. There's a lot of family relationships in the acting community here, I noticed. There is, yeah. There's uh, Redgraves as an auntie and a niece. Yep. There's uh, Prunella Scales and um, Samuel West, their um, father, uh, mother and son. Yep. Um, and there's Helena Bonham Carter and one of her cousins, I is believe. Crispin, I think um, it is, isn't yeah. it? He's in there somewhere as well. Um, I'm going to read out a plot line because the, the story is not difficult to follow, but if you were to try and explain it to somebody, I think we'd have difficulty explaining exactly what the movie is actually about there's three families and it sort of interlinks amongst the three three groups i found a very good plot line sort of synopsis here online but funny enough it's it's for the bbc adaptation from last year or the year before but it sums it up really well and it might make it a little bit easier for people to understand that haven't seen the movie what we're going to be talking about Let's go. Let's see how we go with it. It's Margaret and Helen Schlegel are intelligent and idealistic young women living together with their hypochondriac younger brother, Tibby, in Edwardian London. Since the death of their parents, and despite their interfering Aunt Julie's best intentions, the sisters lead independent and slightly unorthodox lives. After meeting the wealthy and conservative Wilcox family on holiday, Margaret forms a friendship with the older and more traditional Ruth Wilcox. When Ruth unexpectedly dies... Margaret finds herself increasingly drawn to the newly widowed Henry Wilcox, a self-made businessman who inherits his late wife's beloved country home, Howard's End. Meanwhile, the passionate and capricious Helen takes up the cause of Leonard Bast, a young bank clerk who is struggling to make ends meet, trapped by his promise to marry his alluring but vulnerable lover, Jackie. It sounds like Edwardian EastEnders. Yeah, the, it's... There's a there's a soap opera element to it, mm. um, and I, I mean I think that the at least in the film version we watched I think that the idea of there being a, a rich family a middle class family and a poor family there's yep. I think that's the the rich family and the middle class family are more or less the same level really yeah. um, there's a lack of maybe lack of understanding whether it's through the novel or through the production of what an actual middle-class family was like. But, um, yeah, that, that definitely sums it up better than some of the descriptions I've seen yeah. of the actual film. Like I say, it's, it's not a difficult plot to follow, but there's a lot going on that I don't think we could we could sum up briefly, you know, in a couple of sentences. It's, it's definitely about class relations. It's definitely about Edwardian England, you know. It's, it's a country on the on the verge of modern times almost. You know, it's a changing world. I don't know exactly what year this is set in. I'm assuming it's pre-war. Um, it'll be pre- yeah, must be pre-war because I think they would find it impossible for there not to be some mention of the war. Yeah, based upon um, mentions of Germany, of course, and because the obviously their their surname. I think that a lot of people who had a German surname, including the royal family, yeah. um, changed their surnames um, in the sort of war years or yeah. post-war years. So I think it's definitely before then when there's still um, diplomatic relations and no big ill feelings towards Germans. Yeah. Otherwise, I think that would have been quite a big element of um, this stuck-up attitude towards the family. Yeah, and, and there's sort of free movement towards Germany, isn't there? Because the, the younger sister goes off to Bavaria a couple of times during this this whole saga. I'm first well, not a first time watch, it's a second time watch for me. And I only watched it originally when it first came out, nineteen ninety two. When did you have you seen this before? I I have. I'm pretty sure I have. I didn't remember it very well. Yeah. I, I was struggling to remember when I did watch it. Yeah. And I think I can't now recall after having watched it again, um on Friday night, mm. I'm trying to think whether it was one of those that I maybe haven't seen all the way through. Yeah, it's uh, it's strange because around this time, we, we, we're big fans of Merchant Ivory Productions and we've seen most of them. I'm, I'm pretty sure I haven't seen all of them. And I, I just remember fondly 
Remains of the Day. That's one of my favourite movies. You know, we reviewed it on the Stinking Paws four or five years ago now. Yeah. And I think that's probably the better known one, certainly out of the, out of the two. Even though this was universally recognised, it was set up for a few Oscars, you know, there was certainly a few nominations there. Is this one that doesn't get talked about a great deal? I think it has been overshadowed mm. by some of the other ones, despite the fact that it did get a lot of notice by the Oscars and other awards. Yeah. I think um, particularly Emma Thompson picked up virtually every award, <laughs> you know, every award ceremony there was that had a Best Actress at the time. I think she got it at that year for this. Yeah. I, as I, I think you're right that the the at the time you know maybe it was slightly different but i think in retrospect i think the others are more recognized um, such as remains of the day yeah i'm just quickly scanning through what it actually won emma, emma thompson won best actress at the academy awards uh screenplay it won best screenplay and it won best art direction also at the baftas it won best film emma thompson won the bafta for the best actress she won the golden globe uh, wow, yeah, you know, and then the film circle, uh, the film critic circle awards. She won best actress. The LA film critics. I, I could go on. It's it's a major major movie, but as we say, doesn't get really spoken about too much. They had a wonderful reissue of it last year at the BFI, and I think it may have got like a national release, being an anniversary year pod. No, it wouldn't even be an anniversary year last year, but they they did this really marvelous 4K uh, restoration of it. Um, and put it out. General impressions of the movie, mate, is it's possibly a first time proper watch for you. Yeah. Over, overall impression of the movie to start with? It's a film that um, I was left with a very contrasting opinion of. Mm. Um, there was absolutely, you know, the, on the good side of it, we'll talk about that first. There's absolutely an uh, incredible cast there of superb acting and. Yep. It's a film that's incredibly well put together with the the sets and the costuming and the way that the cinematography has been done that uh, captures some quite good symbolism with the certain things. So all of that, I think, is you know has been done incredibly well and actually bumps it up to a to a high level of getting noticed because you can't deny the talent that's in this film it just oh, reeks with it yeah um this is some of the the greatest and potentially poshest um actors actors of the generation <laughs> all in one film really yeah, i think there's there's uh, named characters i think there's only which there's quite a few mm-hmm. um i think there's only three people that don't come from a posh background, one of them being Anthony Tom Anthony Hopkins. Yes. Um there was um Nicola Duffett who plays plays, yeah. plays the, the working class mm. wife Jackie and then one of the maids. Um ah. perhaps not everybody else is is a toff basically in real life. Yeah, true. Um, and you know so that this is their world really in some respects. And it it just it reeks with that that talent and it's you see it just sumptuously on screen with all the quality that they've embedded in this of, of capturing that era, yeah. which has been incredibly well done as far as that that is done. Uh, there wasn't anything that I was, uh, you know, I found to be out of place. It all just absolutely fit and made it wholly believable that they were, they were shooting, you know, in, in that time, really. It's, so it's, it's incredibly well it's done something- in that respect. Yeah, something the Merchant Ivory do bloody well. You know, they. <laughs> I don't think they could make a, a, a movie set in modern times. It wouldn't work. You know, they've they've got their formula. You know, that, didn't didn't they do? Didn't Merchant Ivory do a more modern set film I think at one may. point? They tried the hand. It they did one film, I think, and tried a hand, and it. I don't know. It's not what people were expecting. No, it's not what people expect to. from them. No, yeah. they want. You know, they want passage to India. They want yeah. all. You know, these people um having violent disagreements where they want to kill each other but still <laughs> sat there having a cup of tea with each other it's true actually uh, yeah that's that's what <laughs> so they want reserved. they want people's manners overcoming their their principles and their hatred and their feelings that they can they just follow through with 
um, being polite society. Really. Everything's very polite. That's that's a word I was going to use. And also, um, Emma Thompson is very diplomatic across the whole situation that we see unfold. Um, as Frank Skinner would say, there's a lot of acting in this movie, and you have to say it that way. There's acting here, <laughs> you know. It's like a lot of people doing what they do best. I like this. Well, it's very earnest in their performances. Yeah, yeah, a lot of acting. You know? <laughs> I like this this post Silence of the Lambs period for Anthony Hopkins as well, because obviously prior to Silence of the Lambs, he he was known, you know, but wasn't a list you know, star that he became. And with The Remains of the Day, which I think is one of his finest performances. Um, yes, yes. This one, not so much so. I, I, he was there. He wasn't the star of it. I think it's hard to pinpoint who the star of this actually is or the focus actually is. I think Emma Thompson possibly is where everything sort of revolves around. But there's lots of other bits going on here that is three different stories, four different stories, all interlinked. It's a cast of characters rather than it being focal point of one or two individuals, absolutely. Yeah, and it's no... It's, as I say, it's hard to actually pinpoint a plot line to somebody. If you'd like to try and summarise what this was about, it was always about it's a country house that was bequeathed to somebody who didn't get it. Okay, you know, that's really going to pull the audiences in. But if you say it's a Merchant Ivory production, it's a great example of class division it's a great example of what was going on pre-world war one in london in england in the countryside at the time and as you say it's just done bloody well yeah the, they've put the they put the work into it absolutely and they spend the time on going over the the details um as much as possible are you a big fan of the merchant ivory type productions I'll, I'll take it you are um some yeah yeah um it i think a lot of it depends upon the source material it's based upon i think and um some of you know that varies as well even though it's all of a all of a type there's still a a, a variation in that and even for, even from the same offer there can be yeah um, I mean, you know, Remains of the Day, I think, is is a preferable film for me than than this. Yeah. Um, and perhaps that's partly to do with the focal point of it being that it's it's concentrated more on individuals and from a certain person or two people's point of view rather than it being a bit more of a sprawling epic in, in the plot line. Yeah, what I liked... I think was the actual dynamics amongst the family that included Emma Thompson, Helena Bonham Carter and the brother, that they're not this stuffy upper class family that we would, you know, usually see in something like this or an upstairs downstairs type production. They're somewhere in the middle here, aren't they? That they've, they've got money. They're not overly wealthy. They're at a point in society where they're accepted by both the rich and the poor. You know, they can cross those divisions quite easily. Um, but I just like the sort of eccentricity of the way they were living their life, you know, because I was trying to fathom out what the what the deal with, was with the brother. That was just a bit strange. But then I can work out his age until he eventually ends up going to university, doesn't he? But I was thinking, is he like a mid-twenties character here? Uh, you know, a character in his mid-twenties but he turns I was, out he I was yeah, I was trying to work. Yeah, I was trying to work out his place in it all, really, because really. um, to to some extent, really, he he was more part of the set than he was a character. Yeah, um, and and which it, I thought, what is the point of him, really? Yeah, uh, to to be fair, uh, and so that it threw me out, and yeah, trying to work out who he was and what his age was and what. <laughs> And why? Yeah. Why they're they're sort of fussing over him? I think it makes it more clear in the novel that he's a hypochondriac, but we don't seem to get that here. He just seems like a delicate little flower, bless him. That that they're sort of smothering a wee bit and protecting, because I think there's a point where Prunella Scales, who's the aunt, is is quite ill later on in the thing, and and she says, uh, "Can you make sure that Cook makes sure that the mackerel is cooked the way Tibby likes it, because it will upset the rest of his day." 
I'm just wondering if there's something going on, some some sort of mental illness, possibly. I don't know, but yeah, possibly. But it's not elaborated enough no. to actually. It, it, I didn't feel that there was any character to him. I, he he was he was an extra in there, and as you say in the book, he might be more elaborated mm. and and described. But in in this, you know, he he was little better than. than a piece of piece of furniture, piece really. Of furniture, exactly. um, so, um, and I'm not saying there was anything wrong as such with the his performance, but I just don't feel there was really any point to him being there. I think there was only one point in the film there was any need for him to actually be there when there was um, some question about um, who the father was of the the, the baby, um, and that's yeah. when he's been sort of almost roughed up that but i don't feel that wasn't that was enough purpose for him to have been there throughout the entire film but no i liked it i did like it it's it's one i say i've not gone back to in 30 years and i'm just trying to think why you know i'm thinking back at the time when i first watched it 1992 great movie you know nothing sort of jumped out at the time this time I, i i think i've appreciated it a little bit more since Emma Thompson or Dame Emma Thompson now has been elevated to you know the level of national treasure as we've said many times before to go back and watch one of her earlier performances that we're not that familiar with she deserved the Oscar she deserved the BAFTA definitely oh she she definitely acted her socks off Mm. in this yeah Yeah. it's hard not to there's no doubt about that yeah Mm. and um, you know that maybe is why to some extent she's she can be seen as a focal point of, of a, as a central character and maybe the central character because although um, Miss Redgrave Senior, yes. um, Vanessa is um, is quite well billed on this film. She's only in the film for the first third or so yeah. and then, then he's gone. And I think her acting was absolutely outstanding. Always is, though, isn't it? With Vanessa um, Redgrave, yeah. I think there's never any doubt that that lady can act. Surprisingly, it's her first appearance in 20-plus episodes. We haven't done uh, or reviewed any movies from the 60s starring Vanessa Redgrave as yet. No, of course, yeah. Yeah, so she's going to crop up. She will hit the whole thing. Oh, of course she will. She yeah. will probably... Probably quite easily if we, you know, we allow, you know, allowed yeah. it to happen. It wouldn't, be any, it wouldn't be any effort at all to find good films that she was in. Yeah, uh, we could do that straight away. Yeah, the the performances are definitely there, and and Emma Thompson um, does, and the other performances does elevate this to being um, a better better film and make it more worthy for people to sit and watch. Absolutely. I think Samuel West deserves a bit of recognition. Um, there's a lot of layers to Samuel West that we don't really see until the plot unravels slowly because you're thinking, okay, he's, he's he's trying to educate himself. He's attending these music lectures and things. Simon Callow, brief cameo by Simon yes, Callow. Yes, Simon uh, Callow in there, <laughs> yes, as the lecturer. Yeah. Um, and it's not until he goes home and you're thinking, okay, we're getting an idea that Obviously, he's not the same social class as anybody else we've met so far in the movie. But at the same time, he's got a lot going on with with the wife, uh, who has a very checkered history, as we will discover. I think he's great in this. Um, Samuel West, I think, is one of the standout performances for me. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's an aspect to... Um you know, they're, they're again getting somebody from from posh to play um, <laughs> to play to play working class. Yeah. But uh, initially, the accent threw me out a bit. But then I I just got used to it. Yeah. Um, it, he he's playing a character that is unraveling. Mm. Um, yeah. That actually is to although he's a character that's questioning his place and wanting to go beyond. What he's been born into, as far at least intellectually, he is certainty and stability that he's got in his his life unravels gradually to to you know more or less the final scenes. Um, 
so that is something that gradually this character is exposing. But I mean, there are large chunks of, the, of it where he's not actually seen. So, yeah. which is difficult to document, difficult to document that unraveling because there are large chunks where there's, you know, years almost where he's just time passes by and his character isn't anything to do with what's going on. No. So that, that, that might have been a focal point on, on him as a character by itself and being the, the, the story might have, might have helped expose what was happening with the character and there would have been enough there perhaps, but um, it seemed like, it seemed like it was, it was a plot point to move the lives on elsewhere rather than him as a character being important in himself, which is a bit of a shame really, because I think he could have done more with the role. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's there on screen for a fair proportion of the movies, not, the main focal point as we say but he plays a very vital part in in what would develop you know towards the second half of the movie it's quite a long film this is nearly three hours and i didn't realize until after i'd sat down watching it it was like one o'clock in the morning when it finished and but it didn't seem like a three-hour movie you know sometimes you, you get that shuffling in your seat and it's like oh god you know at no point did i feel that well, where's this going or what's the point of that and oh, for god's sake hurry up and end because it just gently unraveled the plot and and it led you down a path and you're thinking i want to know where we're going here i want to know the outcome of this yeah i i had the opposite feeling i was i was getting a bit restless it <laughs> did feel too long for me really um, yeah. i think there was there was for me unfortunately um for all the quality there is in in the acting and the the actual production values. Um, I think it was let down by the story. I think there was far too much. There was far too much redundant plot points or bits that were put in there that didn't seem to be um, necessary and were elaborated on. Or there were bits that you thought, well, what happens with that? You've you've made it seem like it's important, and then now there's never a mention of it again. Right. Um, there, there was, was there was only the, one part. Sorry, I was just going to interrupt you. There was one part that I totally agree with you. There was the very beginning, that whole relationship between the son and the and um, was it Helen the Bonham Carter? Yes. Yeah, that didn't need to be introduced. I think that could have been told as part of the story. I totally agree with you there. There are certain parts that didn't yeah, because that to be. I mean, you know, it, I mean that that straight away that that I was thinking. How has her family got that letter so quickly when it's only the next morning that she's bumping into him on the landing and think the situation changing? That's true. How have they how have they already got the letter and read the letter? <laughs> and then straight away Prunella Scales is on a and, train and yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm thinking, well, is she has she had it FedExed in the middle of the night or something? Because <laughs> I, I couldn't understand how that worked. And then then that character that the um the young Wilcox lad, I think, uh, Paul, I think his name was, wasn't yes, he? She, it was Paul, she, yeah. She for. Um, he suddenly did a, um, a a Chuck Cunningham, you know, Happy Days, where he suddenly <laughs> disappeared and was never, you know, it was it was mentioned once again at Indeed. some point, but um, a bit further down the line when they were having the family discussions um, on a couple of occasions about what the, the, the Wilcox, the rich family were doing with various things, he not only was he not there, but he didn't seem to even be mentioned and in consideration. He seemed to have just he was a plot device that was used at the beginning and then disappeared and we no longer existed. Yes. Um, so that that threw me out as as well because I do think that I mean that could have that could have created some more tension or difficulty um, with why there was an estrangement for the Helen character yeah um if the if that paul had been on the scene because she would have been trying to even if just out of politeness avoid coming into contact with him or being in the same at the same parties or the same household for for anything but it wasn't wasn't used and it seemed no. like a missed opportunity they could have they could have used that in a different way and actually still have meant that this this younger brother wasn't just suddenly disappearing down a he went away. I don't know what happened. He went away, did, didn't he? To Africa, um, wasn't it? Yeah. Went away, went away. Yeah. Never to be, you know, hardly, I think he was mentioned once more, and that was it at some point. He was mentioned just when um, 
when there was the apology about what had happened yes. um, between um, Emma Thompson and Vanessa Redgrave when they were having that first discussion, yeah. there was a mention of him there, but I can't think of there been any other mention at all, even acknowledgement of his existence exactly at that. any later points, no, which no. which threw me out entirely. And <laughs> and as I say, I mean, the point of of Tibby been in there as well just baffled me why why he was on screen and what the, the point of him was and similarly to be perfectly honest I'm not sure really that there was what what really need was for um for for Jackie so much apart from to to hold back any romance developing between Helen and Leonard yeah um, in, in the initial stages apart from there being a, a stopper on them going full-blown into a, a, a relationship of some description I can't really understand what the point of her was either because the revelation that you had about to, to do with the um, the Anthony yeah. Hopkins character that didn't change anything to do with the storyline it didn't change what happened no it didn't you know it didn't, it didn't actually have any effect on the plot and to be honest, that was one of the her situation was one of the the, the glaring things at the end. There was a, a glaring unresolved plot line there of what happened to her um, when all everybody else, you know, has, has got their resolution and um, etc. That you know they've decided what they're doing with the house and people are uh, where they want to be and they've all come to an agreement. But she's not important. She's not. She wasn't important enough to actually show any resolution to in in the plot, um, and it's you know seemingly the not only was it that the working class characters were there to as a tool mm. um, to actually move the plot along, but seemingly f- with within the actual um, world they were living in, it seemed like the the working class people were just a, a tool for them to move. Keep occupy their own lives and move it along. They weren't actually important as people. So the uh, sort of tandem thing between the this this the plot, right? You know, this the writer of the um, film, and I would assume that the writer of the of the actual book yeah. seemed to think that the the working class characters weren't there to be treated as as people in their own right, really, and and worthy of a, any resolution, really. Um, and just to be used to move the plot along of the the posh people. I mean, it is meant to be a very fearful rendition of the actual book. It makes you wonder if uh, there is bits missing, though, isn't it? Because, like we yeah. said, in this summary that I read at the beginning here, that it describes TB as hypochondriac, we've got no indication of him being that way at all. Does the book resolve this whole jackie situation it may yeah. it may well do it get, might do yeah i mean does it does is there any more importance put upon the stuff to do with the insurance company that leonard's working for that um that mr wilcox senior actually decides that, to, to rubbish is was there that any deliberate? reason why he was doing that yeah. or was it just it him just passing on a rumor that he'd heard because there was no link to his own business and there had been no profit to him actually rubbishing the business now, this for is him the thing. to actually profit his own business. Yeah. So why? This is the what thing. The... Now, when when they um, the sisters mention the fact that they've got this friend that's a clerk at an insurance company, is this deliberate that Anthony Hopkins immediately says, oh, no, that company's got no future, or I'd advise him to get out? Because do the girls actually mention the name Leonard Bast, and then that's what gives Anthony Hopkins the, the reason to say that? I can't remember. They do mention his name, don't they? And that's why I think Anthony Hopkins gives that advice. He's a scheming, manipulative bastard, basically in this but, movie. But it, it can't have been that the, it can't have been that there's any association he's made with Jackie, because she wouldn't have had his surname when when they'd had he'd, he'd met her. But then and he seemingly doesn't have any awareness of her until she turns up at the party. So it wasn't like that was his motivation. So but then, what, was he was he just doing it for the fun of it, of, of ruining somebody's life, or was it what was? I'm trying to remember the motivation when, behind it. Yeah. it didn't seem like there was, there was any motive whatsoever, that, and there was any point apart from there being a, a way in which Leonard lost his job. There didn't seem to be any any point. We well, yeah, had him uh, being involved in that whole scenario. It just. I know they wanted to 
find a way to make him culpable and therefore the the, the, the lady is wanting to blame him and put an expectation on him to be involved in putting things right. But I'm trying to work out the timelines of when this actually happened because there's a scene where Leonard Bast is invited for tea and unexpectedly Anthony Hopkins turns up with his daughter and the dog. Well, that's, af- that's after these, he's... He's, is it after he's, he's given moved, the advice? That's when, he, that's when he's moved on to a different job, I think, at that point. He's already moved right. on to a, to a different job. But they recognise um, each other, don't they, at this point? Because that's when Samuel West storms out and Helena Bonham Carter berates him at the, at the bottom of the staircase for like being rude. There's recognition there, isn't it? He says, I, I, I've been brought here under false pretenses. He recognises Anthony Hopkins. What? No, no, no. Actually, no. It's before he leaves the insurance company because yeah. he, he storms out because there's the question about because Anthony Hopkins, um, when he's introduced to him, has been their friend who's in the insurance company. Yeah. He asked he asked the question about how secure the finances of the insurance company are. Yeah. And that's when he he storms out because he feels like he's been you been pummeled for information by. Um, almost like a corporate spy, he's been he's been used um, as a mole uh, against his his wishes. Oh. So that's why he storms out. Oh, so that's I... before. So there's no there's no recognition, I think, between I Anthony Hopkins oh. and and Leonard Bass of each other of who they are. It's only when their wedding party at the very later stages when there's a recognition of how they're they're linked. Before that, there doesn't seem to be any link uh, whatsoever. That's where I. Um, which is which is. Which is a missed opportunity because it could have been that that there was a known link and mm. he was that's his motivation for doing it. That's but all what, along yeah. he'd, he'd been pretending he didn't know who he was. That would have made that would have made it more interesting as a plot. That's what and, I thought he was. And, I've got it all but, wrong. There. <laughs> yeah, but the, it's it's not there. It's not there as as a plot. There's I think there's a, a some gaping holes of where this actually could have been. The plot could have been better. To yeah. be perfectly honest. I mean, there's a lot of the redundant pop points could have been either taken out or they could have been turned into something that's actually relevant. There's lots of little things like, you know, who the hell was that other child at the end in the field? I mean, is that? Oh, that, well, two children, two children in the field. What was the who was the other child? Well, one was obviously Helen. One was Bond obviously Carter's. Helen's child. But who was yeah. the other one? That's true. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. There's, there was the there was the, the young lad with the tall uh the, the young lad with dark hair, and then they had the baby between them when they were walking through the field holding an, a hand each. Who was that young lad? I mean, right. it's not, um, so that was so that threw me out as well. I was just at the, right, right at the very end. I was thinking, well, this has suddenly been introduced. There's a new character there that's been put in, and we've got no idea who he is. Here we go. <laughs> Wikipedia. Margaret tells Henry she is leaving him to help Helen raise Helen's baby. Henry breaks down, telling her the police inquest will charge Charles with manslaughter. Yes. A year later, Paul, Evie, and Charles's wife Dolly. It's Dolly's boy. She was with child. Right. Yeah. Okay. I think it's her. Yeah. Henry and Margaret are still together, living with Helen and her young son. When I was asking whether um, Charles was happy about the her being pregnant again, so yeah. that was setting that up for the being. Right, well, that's very well explained, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. Yeah. It's it's, <laughs> I think what's happened, if, if we do this from start to finish the screenwriter and the director have said right we're going to adapt Howard's End and we're going to do it page by page and we're going to include everything that we possibly can so you get this bit at the beginning that is unnecessary as the plot develops and you get the you get the feeling that as as they're working on the screenplay it's like oh well we don't need to mention that bit or we'll elaborate on this bit and, and the things are being put aside a little bit here from the novel and then What's happened is they've they've overstretched themselves, and it gets to the end, and it's like, oh, hang on a minute, we've got to mention this bit, and and this needs to be included, and it's just it it's, is a bit of a jumble. Yeah, I, I feel it's 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 got too much bits in there that either could have been taken out to make make it make more sense on screen, or bits that they, if they kept them in, they could have made them relevant, which would have actually probably changed what how the the plot went according to the book. So they wouldn't have wanted to to maybe do that, but. It it just it does seem like it lacks a certain coherence as a plot. 
And I can understand that not every not every film. I mean, we've watched plenty of films mm. where there isn't a resolution at the end. Yeah. It's 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 just telling a story of of something that happens within a certain period of time. There's no resolution for people. There's no answers. You just get to the end and it stops and it's done. We've been we've watched a number of films like that, and that's that's fine if that's what this is. But I don't. I feel it's I feel it's leading you progressively towards the idea that you're going to have a resolution and then there isn't really. Yeah. Um, and unf- unfortunately, the, the whole MacGuffin of the whole thing, which is the actual, the house. Yes. Howard's End. <sighs> it's, it's a house that... It becomes irrelevant, the, does it? Well, well, well the, the family that own it don't want it. Yeah. Um... So why why is there so much of a problem of, of, of somebody else having it that um, will either assuage some guilt or will actually allow them to therefore feel better about honouring um, wishes of, of somebody deceased or not having it as an elephant around their necks that costing them money or, or whatever. Yeah. It's Because it, it seems like at one point he's wanting to liquidate some of his assets because he just he thinks there's no point in spending it on some of the houses and things. So I really can't understand why there's a big fuss about hanging by one side of hanging on to a house which um they don't want yeah and then from the other side them wanting a house which they there's they've never had and never had anything to do with and they didn't even know that it was meant to be bequeathed to them so there wasn't even that linked to it it was just somewhere to live because they'd lost their other house so that's right and all how, that stuff how, was there how yeah. it's end as a thing as an actual location, as a house and, and stuff, and as a motivating plot point, seems a nonsense, really. I yeah. don't, it, it, seem, it seems like the, the value of it, neither side actually places any exceptional value on it. So why is there the a whole film about who's going to end up living in it? It, it, it baffled me in that sense. <laughs> I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not taking away from the fact that it, it, the production with the acting oh, and yeah. all that kind of stuff... Uh, are incredible. Yes, but and uh, maybe maybe my quibbles, as you've kind of alluded to, maybe my quibbles are with the actual source material, and they've yeah. done a fair, they've done a fearful adaptation of a flawed source material. Um, I can't say this is bringing me to actually want to read any Ian Foster, to be perfectly honest. But no. um, but I, I just think if it had been condensed down, it might be more palatable to more people, and maybe that's why. Like you've said, remains of the day mm. is actually Superior. more well more well regarded by people now because it's one that people feel it easier to revisit. Yeah, than this, which I, I think this <laughs> it, is why I've not gone back to this. I I, I certainly feel that remains of the day, which was filmed the following year, this was after this, is the superior movie. I'm, I'm, yeah, you said that. You said that before I started my criticism. Yeah. you said that anyway. So absolutely, I can yeah. and, and I agreed. Um, uh, you're right. But what I'm yeah. tempted to do is is there's a four part adaptation that the BBC did last year. So I'm assuming <laughs> it's going to be take it's going to watch one. Yeah, it? it's going to be longer. <laughs> it's going to be a longer version of this story, and I'm hoping that it resolves some of these things that we've been sort of. <laughs> we're not saying this is a bad movie because as you say the acting is superb the production values are phenomenal which is what we expect from a Merchant Ivory production absolutely and, and yeah, with the stellar cast yeah. that's involved yeah. Yeah? yeah um and I would recommend this to people to watch because it is a great example of classic British period drama which is what we do bloody well you know the BBC have this decades-long tradition of those Sunday tea time adaptations of Jane Austen and Charles Dickens and things like this. And this carries on throughout the cinema in the 80s and the 90s through people like James Ivory. It's just, I think, you're quite right, the source material may not have been adapted correctly or the source material itself is flawed. We don't know because we, we haven't yeah, studied it. No, we've not extent, read it. No, but we? I've, I've, you know, from what I've seen... When I was, you know, just doing a little bit of research with this, um, just casting my, just a general glance over things, it seems to be that the, it's widely regarded as uh, an exceptional adaptation, mm. and ac- ac- accuracy-wise, of the actual source material. Which is yeah. why I'm trying to, you know, I'm picking at the plot, but trying to make sure I'm not blaming yeah. 
the people who did the film, it seems to be that they're, you know, they're if they were going to stay faithful to it, they have to have these redundant plot points. And yeah. if they were going to move away from it, I'm sure they would have faced a big backlash for for changing the the story. So I suppose they were damned if they did and damned if they didn't. True. But it, yeah. they've, they've got the acting quality to help carry the film through. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, and if people, you know, this is this is their thing with the period dramas, which obviously, as you've said, are a very British thing that we've, you know, it's what they do well, particularly Merchant Ivory. Then yeah. this is an example of it, absolutely, and people should should look into it. There is one thing. Reason. There is one thing that stood out. We're saying that the production values are superior. They're great, you know, out of this world. There was one point I thought, oh, that doesn't quite sit right. There's a part where Anthony Hopkins reveals to Emma Thompson about his affair in Cyprus with Jackie. Yes. And there's this very strange sequence of editing. Did you notice it's sort of like they're having a conversation, it cuts, and Anthony Hopkins is then on the other side of the room. But they're still continuing the conversation, and then it cuts again, and he's sitting down. Giving the, giving the impression that this conversation has been going on for like an extended period of time. Yes. Did you yes. notice that? Yeah. No. Yeah. Now you've now you've referenced it. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm thinking. But, yeah. Okay. Was that an extended part of the book, the source material that goes on for a chapter that this conversation you know goes on, and we get the full gory details of what actually happened? Is it deliberate? I don't know. But that that was the only thing that stood out from like the direction or the the cinematography is like, oh, that's not something Merchant Ivory usually do this jump cut type thing yeah it would have been interesting to see whether that was mm. the case mm. because um it the it would have been good to have had some elaboration of the process by which um the margaret the emma thompson margaret character does sacrifice her principles for um having the good life mm. um the so it'd be interesting to see that process because it seems like throughout the entire film that majority of the people um, forego any form of principles for having the the privileged rich lifestyle. So and she sacrifices hers. It seems like she's got more principles at the beginning and and that changes with her. So it would have been interesting to see the process by which that drops away from her yeah. and she gives that up in order to just be a, a rich wife. Now maybe that was elaborated in that in the book, but is cut down to being a a, um, a condensed scene with highlights. It's an interesting idea, actually. Yeah. Or whether that, or whether that was bad editing. Editing. No, I wouldn't expect it to be bad editing, considering the quality of everything else in this. It was so. a strange way of putting it across. If you know, it's it's something that we're not familiar from Merchant Ivory for doing, where everything flows beautifully. You know, it's yeah, and it was just this jump cut but it's in the same scene in the same room can i just point out unintentionally funny for me and one of the best scenes is anthony hopkins running away from emma thompson in the garden where <laughs> she confronts him and he just runs away from her I, I, I chuckled to myself i don't know if that was supposed to be funny or not but i love that part it's it's not anthony hopkins running is not really a thing is it <laughs> dressed in a dinner suit as well you know no. <laughs> very stuffy and you can't if you can't successfully run away from somebody who's dressed like she was <laughs> then you're in trouble really um, just a which, is, which is why Leonard Bast must have had some real problems because he couldn't catch up with um the, the oh, umbrella thief the umbrella thief um, he was he was like about six feet behind her at one point and then suddenly he 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 loses her yeah and he, he was gaining on her he got past the crowds <laughs> into the actually open street when he could have just yeah. caught up with her quite easily but Seemingly didn't, and yeah. that 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 was baffling as well. And, and even at the end of it, outside in the rain, yeah, he still didn't knock on the door. He just stood there waiting, hoping that somebody would not appear at the window that he could wave to. <laughs> I loved it. There was a, there was a couple of great bits like that. In conclusion, I think we're going to agree that yes, it's a great film. It's not the best of the Merchant Ivory productions because of the things we sort of touched upon here. But it is a glorious-looking movie. We cannot deny that it is something that those guys did well. It's it's a it's an absolute glorious-looking film, mm. and the quality of the performances in it 
flawless. They're amazing, with the exception of um, Anthony Hopkins running. They, um, <laughs> then that's probably how the character would have run. So let's exactly. face it, he was in true. character. Yep. Um, so absolutely, the, the quality is there. And if somebody is wanting to see uh, a period sprawling epic um of this nature yep um then absolutely this is something that they sh- you know should sit down and and dedicate the time to watch some people might it might not be to their taste and in that case i'd, I'd say you know maybe try give it a miss and try something that is um a bit more accessible and um understandable what i'd suggest and digestible which yeah. is uh, remains of the day exactly for nobody yeah. that's, anybody that's not familiar with merchant ivory productions and they want to have their first taste i would push them towards remains of the day first I yes think. yeah uh, and then I mean, just yeah there'll be people out there who love this and will love it from start to finish yeah and the, the, the things that i'm picking at they'll be wafting away and saying i'm you know uncultured working class and all this kind of stuff we'll get, we'll get then, a furious email know, from gabriella but if, if, <laughs> yeah but if that's you know that's fine because you know like we've all as, got opinions as, as somebody from it was as somebody from the working class this film doesn't actually um regard the working class as being of any value anyway so my, <laughs> my opinions probably aren't either um so um it's uh but it's not without its good points it's certainly got quality in there i'm not gonna rubbish it as, no, as a whole um but um, maybe the source material is what is what let us has let it down really. We'll have to find out. We'll do a little bit more research, I think, over yeah. the next couple of weeks. Okay, mate. Let's take a very short break. We'll be back with what we're going to be watching next time we're together. <laughs> So next time on the Real Britannia podcast, it is your choice, sir. What have you got for us? Right. I've picked a film um, that's different in tone to what mm-hmm. we've just watched. Yep. Um, it's from 1963. Yeah. So that's that's, uh, that's a bit of help. It is going <laughs> to um, bump a, a, a few people up to um, only being one step away from being in the Village Hall of Fame Ooh. because it's it's got one of those casts where... Um, numerous people in this have been in at least one of the other films that have been on the podcast yeah, already. I'm intrigued um, already. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, but the the main star of this um, is uh, a fellow you might not have heard of. His name's Peter Sellers. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of him. So, so yeah, you're aware of him. Co-hosts of other podcasts might, might not. Be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but hopefully some other people might become aware of him. Um, he was in quite a few things. Yeah. Um, anyway, so it's um, the story of a minister who is accidentally appointed to a snobbish <laughs> parish, and it's heavens above. Do you know what? It's one of the Peter Sellers ones I don't think I've seen all the way through. Oh, well, that's it's, good then. It's not one that I turn to. I don't. I, I know it. I'm fully aware of it. I don't think I've actually seen it. Well, I was, you know, I was jostling around. I was considering, you know, the mouse that roared and yeah. a few others like that. And I was even, you know, even considering, you know, Battle of the Sexes and all. Yeah. There was, there was a few I was considering to try and get the tone right. And I, for some reason, this one I just felt, this is this is what we go for. And then I realised that the, the as I said, the other people in the cast. Is it um, is it sort of Margaret so Rutherford and all those types? Is it, is the, it one of the, those? There's there's all sorts. There's Ian Carmichael, wow. Eric Sykes, Miles Mallison, um, William Hartnell, John <laughs> Hickson. Um, I think they'll you know, put the Hickson just, in. I think the Hickson will go into the Hall of Fame and William Hartnell. I think Hartnell, that's, that's I think. at least two, and William yeah. Hartnell possibly yeah. is at least two, if not three. He, no, so, he is. Carry on, Sergeant and Hell Drivers. Yes. Hell Drivers, yes. Yeah, yep. So this will put, it, put him in, yeah. Yeah. Um, because I know um, the Hickson was the Hickson, in, as we call uh, she was in she was in uh, Theatre of Blood, wasn't she? And Blue Lamp. Uh, um, oh, she was in Blue Lamp as well. I yeah, about young, young Hickson. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Miles Mallison. I think he was in Thirty Nine Steps and Scrooge. Definitely in Scrooge. Yeah. 
So yes, we're we're you know. Oh, we're, we're having influx. We're, 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 we're bumping through Cecil Parker. He was in Admirable Crichton as well. So we're we're bumping them along. <laughs> um, a number of people are either going to jump into the Village Hall of Fame or they're going to be um, waiting at the door. You know, and Peter Sellers. Is uh, this our first Peter you know, Sellers? I'm. I think it might be your yeah, first Peter Sellers, well, which is amazing. Considering um, how many episodes we've done. Yeah. Yeah. About time on on that front. Certainly. But, um, it's, it's like you've said before, mm. there are a number of people who we would expect to be instantly leaping into the Village Hall of Fame. Mm. You've got your Michael Cairns, your Peter Sellers, but those haven't. kind of people. You would expect to straight away go into it. but mm. It's the supporting cast, it, it, isn't it's, it? It's the supporting, yeah. The, it's, all, the it's all these people where, that crop up again and again and again like you had before, you know, the... It's, it's no, those faces where you go, oh, I've seen him in something, but you don't know their name. It's, it's that's yeah. what's happening, or we're finding that's happening. Oh, that's it's like it's like in um, Scrooge. There was the guy I can't remember his name now. He played yeah. played Fezziwig uh, um, in Scrooge, and he was in um, Trouble in Store and and in which we serve and and stuff yeah. as well. So he went in, yeah. and it's it's it is these back, you know, these people where. You, you go, oh, it's him again. Oh, it's him again. Oh, it's him again. So that's the joy who'd, of who'd doing. Who'd have thought William Hartnell would have got in there before Michael Caine? Eh? Exactly. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. I'm looking forward to that because I, I do like a, a '60s British comedy, and especially if it's one that I haven't seen. You know, because th- that whole thing of well, why haven't I seen this? Because I've seen yeah. every other Peter Sellers movie. I'm sure I must have seen bits of this one. It's probably one that I've... I've there, there is in no way this is anywhere like the production values of Mitch <laughs> Ivory. Um, we, we can, we'll say that at the outset. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's a light-hearted, almost farcical situation. Yes. And it does raise, does try and, and raise a few questions about people's behaviours, but ultimately it's just a light-hearted, hour and a half or so to spend your your life so let's uh, let's go for it that's that's what i like to hear before we go um i'm just going to give a brief mention to the wonderful people at brit pod scene who reached out to us this week now bearing in mind as i say we're recording early january so apologies guys if this is not going out till march but brit pod scene is uh, an online community of fellow british podcasters uh, who have listened to the show and surprisingly enjoy it. So <laughs> there's some funny people around. There are some there. strange people out there, and we have been welcomed warmly with open arms into the community. I've had a little bit of a chat on the internet with a few of the guys involved there. So thank you for making us part of of quite a, a warm and friendly group, mate. Um, we will be promoting other podcast within that community as the weeks go by and hopefully they will be doing the same for us so that's good news yes thank you to them yeah, yeah. Great uh, to be part, part yeah it's great it's, group. Yeah. there's some good shows out there so we'll be dipping our toes into those there, and, are, there are some very good shows out yeah. there on on that that group and i know and there's abh as well exactly. um, well yeah <laughs> we don't talk about those <laughs> um so yes that's fantastic to have that welcome from them um, and, and been included with them yeah and, and for the guys out there that are listening to us via our libsyn website or itunes or spreak or wherever you you're actually finding us and, and listening to us regularly I'm going to push you towards Player FM. Um, I downloaded it on my new phone as as my podcatcher of choice, and we're not affiliated with these guys in any way. I'm not doing this as a as a promotion that we're going to get any feedback from. I've just found it one of the easiest to use podcatchers and great facility that if you stop listening halfway through a show, it will automatically go back to that point in time. Uh, it will download your episodes automatically. Just Player FM is, is one that I'm just going to just say it's, it's an easier way of listening to us. So see if you can find us. It's in the App Store. It's there for iTunes. Uh, it's there for the iPhone. It's there for the Android. So on that note, Stephen, thank you very much for being here this morning, sir. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on. And we will see you in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, heavens above. Absolutely. Okay. Cheers, buddy. See you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Absolute shah. A positive shah. Well, boy, awesome.
Good luck. Thank you. Hand up, sir.